Thank you very much. Um, obviously, what we've heard in uh, yesterday's session and also this morning's session was about a range of uh, climate change uh, projections for the future, in particular about a four-degree world. And this morning we heard about some, I guess, very slow but uh, overwhelming impacts from climate change. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, wildfire, which I guess I will be arguing is a very rapid impact of climate change. And as I was in Melbourne on the 7th of February this year, I would argue that uh, when 170 people were killed and that it can be linked to climate change of only eight-tenths of a degree already, that this is a rapid impact of climate change and it's already affecting people at only eight-tenths of a degree warming and at four degrees plus warming, the impacts of wildfire in the world will be dramatic and adverse in many, many different areas. Um, not everywhere, but in many different areas. So let me talk a little bit about wildfire, and I am not a fire scientist, and fire is very, very complex. So I'm going to give the uh, layperson's view of fire. And what you need for fire is fuel, you need an ignition source, and you need environmental conditions that are favourable to that fire. And it helps if the fuel is dry, as anyone who's tried to light a campfire with very wet wood knows. So if we have fuel which is dry, particularly facilitated by lengthy drought, high maximum temperatures, strong winds and low relative humidity, those are the sorts of environmental factors which will be conducive to very intense wildfires. And a number of those conditions will be affected by climate change. And the only thing that you then need to cause a wildfire is an ignition source, which may or may not be affected by wildfire and may or may not be affected by human activity. And we heard in a number of talks this morning that natural influences on ignition sources, particularly in the Amazon region, are obviously increasing. I get asked the question a lot, does climate change cause wildfires? And the answer is no. I don't know of any climate change that specifically started a fire. However, that's because I look at the environmental factors, not at changes in lightning. And there are, in fact, changes in lightning that can initiate wildfires and are likely to. But I'm going to talk in rather simpler ways. How does climate change affect wildfires and how might, in a four-degree world, the environmental factors associated with wildfires change? And climate change can affect these weather conditions or environmental conditions. It can affect the fuel conditions by making them wetter or drier. And it can affect the frequency of natural ignition. It might also affect the frequency of human ignition of wildfires, but I'm going to completely ignore that. And in my talk, I'm also going to ignore the changes in frequency of natural ignition associated with lightning. But there are, in fact, a number of studies that estimate that the frequency of lightning will increase due to climate change in a number of different areas. I'm going to focus on fuel conditions and weather conditions conducive to fires. And the potential impacts of climate change on wildfire have been assessed and published in a number of studies nearly 20 years ago. 
And they all basically said what I'm going to say. Climate change is likely to lead to increases in frequency in wildfires in fire-prone areas. We haven't learnt much in 20 years except better quantification of that change in risk. And all of these papers said much the same sorts of things. However, the fourth assessment report in the IPCC said somewhat different things. There is uncertainty associated with many studies of climate change in forest fires. There is evidence of both regional increase and decrease in fire activity, and both of those are correct. But in fact, if you have a decrease in fire activity, it's obviously beneficial, and it probably damages less property and kills less people. Regional increases in fires, which damage more property and particularly kill more people, maybe in economic models you can offset them, but if a murderer is also a surgeon and saves five people's lives, he generally does not get off the murder trial because he saved people's lives. So avoided death is often not a compensation for death in, ex in most studies except economic studies. <laughs> However, the IPCC did say that current modelling studies and other analysis suggests that increased temperatures and longer growing seasons will lead to elevated fire risk wherever it gets drier. And so if we look in the fourth assessment report at figures we've seen several times already, we know that temperatures go up just about everywhere. And the magnitude of the warming is obviously higher at high latitudes, but on land it goes up more than it does on oceans and most of the land masses are showing warming which is equal to or greater than the global average warming. It's the rainfall patterns or the increases in aridity which are different. But there is growing agreement between the climate model projections about the patterns of rainfall decrease. We've heard discussion of that already in this workshop. And that is that in the subtropics, in regions that are already dry, there's likely to be increases in aridity. If those regions are desert and there is no fuel available, there is unlikely to be an increase in fire activity. But many of those semi-arid areas have ample fuel. It will get drier and higher temperatures and reductions in rainfall will be likely associated with increased risk of wildfire. So now what I'm going to do is talk about an example. It was an example on the 7th of February this year, and it's an example of the sorts of circumstances that may occur more frequently in a number of different parts of the world. But this example on the 7th of February this year was not the only example of massive wildfires around the world in 2009. In May 2009, there were massive wildfires in Southern California. There were also massive wildfires in British Columbia this year and around Athens in August. There have been a number of documented studies of already major increases in area burnt and in frequency of wildfires around the world in many locations entirely consistent with the locations of projected decreases in rainfall. 
the semi-arid areas or the Mediterranean climates. So let me talk about the 7th of February. Southeastern Australia has had lots of previous disastrous bushfires. They're always associated with the same sorts of weather circumstances. Very dry preceding conditions, very high maximum temperatures, strong winds, a passage of a cold front with a shift in the winds. And it's the shift in the winds that usually you leads to the deaths because people were anticipating the fires approaching from one direction and then they changed the direction. Australia, through empirical studies, developed a fire danger index, something that in Australia is called the MacArthur Fire Danger Index. And Ian Noble developed some equations. It's actually a circular slide rule that was developed in the 1960s by MacArthur and a couple of other foresters. It combines together on each of the dials maximum temperature, relative humidity, wind speed, and a drought factor to measure the dryness of the fuel. You can look at that, it's a series of exponentials, and then you end up with an index scale. It's normalized so that 100 was the worst fires that have occurred in Australia up until the 1960s, which occurred in 1939. And that was provided with a, a value of 100 on this scale. High fire danger is 12 to 25, very high 25 to 50. Extreme, which is essentially an uncontrollable wildfire, is greater than 50. And remember this occurrence in 1939, Black Friday, was 100. Let's talk about the preceding conditions. This is in fact surface temperature anomalies averaged over 10 days or eight days from the 25th of January to the 1st of February. The, uh, the surface temperature anomalies are a 10 degree average anomaly above normal in this region. It's actually associated with cold anomalies and increased rainfall in Northern Australia. The preceding conditions were very hot and very dry. Melbourne set an all-time maximum record of 46.4 degrees on the 7th of February, on this day of the fires. Melbourne's on the coast. It actually had a negative heat island of 2 degrees. Melbourne was cooler than the surroundings. 48 degrees was recorded 25 kilometres outside Melbourne. This was half a degree warmer than the previous all-time record. And surprisingly, I've been involved in some attribution studies that attribute half a degree warming over the last 50 years due to anthropogenic climate change. And the previous all-time record was set on Ash Wednesday, oh, sorry, on Black Friday in 1939, the previous very high um, fire danger day. What about low, record, uh, low relative humidity? Um, Melbourne also experienced a very low relative humidity of only 5% at a coastal site. This is more typical of the relative humidities you find in a desert. But this is at sea level, five kilometers or less from the coast. And it was associated with very, very strong winds offshore from the inland area. No studies have specifically looked at low relative humidity and links to climate change, but it's very likely with higher maximum temperatures and low rainfall that that's what you would expect, lower relative humidity on these extremes. And the pattern of winds was very typical. We did not have unusual winds. 
They were 100 kilometres an hour, which is typical of these sorts of severe weather events. Melbourne at the time also had record low rainfall for the last, the previous three years and the previous 12 years. And it had had no rain at all for the preceding 35 days. And for the rainfall since the beginning of the year, that 2.2 millimetres fell on the 2nd of January. So it was extremely dry. What that led to was forest fire danger index values of between 140 and 190, substantially higher than ever recorded anywhere in Australia. Some colleagues who are weather and climate scientists as well as looking at fire introduced a new category of catastrophic fires associated with these fire danger index values greater than 100. And it is clear that the impacts of these fires on the 7th of February in Australia were catastrophic. There have already been observed increases in these fire danger indices in Australia. I'm working on probabilistic attribution to work out how much is due to climate change and how much is just natural variability. But it is clear that the expected increase in fire danger in Australia has already been experienced, both in increased intensity of fires and increased area burnt. Let's look at what we would expect for only another three and a half degrees of warming, because that's all that the analytical study, sorry, the modelling studies have done. And these are modelling studies that use climate models downscaled with two separate regional models for increases in the frequency of occurrence of very high fire danger days and extreme fire danger days in southeastern Australia. Melbourne only gets a further doubling of the frequency of these extreme fire danger days. In some parts of southeastern Australia, there's a quadrupling of the frequency of these very high, sorry, of these extreme forest fire danger days. In fact, for Melbourne, it's a 130% increase. The interesting thing to look at is if we only had about half that level of warming, one and a half degrees warming over the present, we get substantially less increase in the frequency, in the increase in frequency of extreme fire danger days. The increases in frequency dramatically increase for higher levels of warming because of the exponential relationships associated with the combinations of low relative humidity, high maximum temperatures and preceding drought conditions. Anything over a fire danger index of 100 or even of 50 has been deemed by firefighters in Australia to be uncontrollable. The fires on this date did not get put out until there was enough rain. Two weeks later, you cannot manage those fires and put, extinguish them until it rains enough. What about other parts of the world? Well, similar studies have been done in a number of other fire-prone areas of the world. British Columbia, 95% increase in fire weather severity in summer for a plus three degree world. Somewhat consistent with the doubling of fire severity and an increase in the fire season to extend the length of the fire season. In California, 12 to 90% increase in the number of large fires depending on the region. 
with less increase in the moister areas in Northern California and the largest increases in the already drier areas in Southern California where the fires were occurring in May 2009. So let me finish, and I think I'm actually on time. The wildfires that have already been experienced in southeastern Australia, in California, in Greece, and in British Columbia this year are already an indication of worsening fire conditions. And the IPCC was right. We're not going to get worsening fire conditions everywhere. We're only going to get them where it gets hotter and drier. And even in the UK, with drier summers, we will expect, as was talked about earlier this morning, worsening fire conditions. The increases in maximum temperature and the decreases in rainfall in the subtropics are going to lead to dramatic increases in the risk of wildfire. And as the warming gets even worse, the risk rapidly increases. It's not a linear relationship with temperature. It's much more like an exponential relationship with temperature. I've only talked about the simple aspects of fire, but of course there are many, many other complex interactions, some of which we talked about in this morning's discussions about Amazonian forests and fire. But if we are hoping for reforestation and afforestation as mitigation options for carbon storage, that storage may not be reliable in subtropical areas where the risk of wildfires releasing the stored carbon in one fire is very substantial and increasing dramatically. The carbon output from the fires on the 7th of February and the following week has been estimated to be close to 50% of Australia's anthropogenic emissions for the whole year. But the fires were natural, so it doesn't get counted as anthropogenic emissions. Except that there may well be an attributable increased risk in those fires. A colleague of mine in Australia, who I won't name, when talking about the increased risk of extreme heat waves and the increased risk of wildfires, said that we are unleashing hell on earth. Increased fires and increased heat waves are just that. Thank you. <laughs>